welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, Covenant Grace Church, and good morning to all of you who are visiting this morning with us. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, when your people Israel were wandering in the wilderness, tired and thirsty without hope, you told your servant Moses to strike a rock with his staff and miraculously water gushed forth to refresh all your people. Father, your people are gathered. We're thirsty. We're weary from the journey. And we ask that with your word, you would refresh us. We ask that as your word is opened, that you would cause refreshment to gush forth from it. We pray, Lord, that you would give life to your people. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and give us fresh joy and hope. And we pray for those who are with us who don't yet know you, Lord, that you would give them the gift of regeneration, the gift of the knowledge of you, the transformation of their inner life, so that they would trust in your son, Jesus, as their full hope and joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series in Exodus called Freed to Follow. And I want to catch you up on where we're at so far. So the Israelites, they have been enslaved in Egypt. And the Lord sent Moses to free them and bring them to the promised land. But of course, Pharaoh would not let the people go. And so there were a series of 10 plagues. Finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. Pharaoh then later changes his mind, sends his armies out after them to pursue them. God causes the Red Sea to part so that the people can go in through on dry land to the other side. But when the Egyptians try to pursue and follow, uh, the, the sea waters close in on them, that God caused the sea waters to close back in on them and destroy them. And so now they're on their way to Mount Sinai, which is about a two-month journey. And there's a whole lot of grumbling on the way. That's what we see uh, in chapters 15, 16, and 17. We see three different episodes of grumbling. We looked at one last week where they were grumbling about food and God gave manna. This chapter, chapter 17, the giving of water, uh, has a similar pattern where the people grumble and then God responds with amazing grace. But there's something wonderfully new in this particular chapter that I want you to see. So take a look at verse 1, chapter 17 of Exodus. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim. And there there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out to Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? But Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? For they are almost ready to stone me. Last week we saw them grumbling about food, but this is a bit scarier. This is about water. A person can survive for weeks or months without food, but without water in the desert, maybe a couple of days. Water is life, and when people are deprived of it, they quickly get desperate. And even with that said, though, guys, it's awfully sad here how they slander God. They basically say that God doesn't care about their lives. In verse 3, they say, Why did you bring us here up out of Egypt to kill us and our children? That's hard. And our livestock with thirst. And then they accuse God of abandoning him. In verse 7, they say, Is the Lord among us or not? And guys, this is really insulting to God. You know, he's brought the 10 plagues to get them out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. 
He's leading them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He made the water uh, that was bitter, sweet. He gave manna from heaven. And now they're asking, is the Lord with us or not? The people are once again accusing and slandering God. But how does God respond? He responds in grace, but in a fascinating way. Look at verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on from the pe- before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Therefore, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? The Lord did something fascinating here. If you look at verse six, he says, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come forth and the people will drink. It's really interesting that in this particular one, God's coming out and he's standing on the rock before they sent manna, but this time God's actually going to stand on the rock before Moses. And so God is somehow identifying with this rock that's going to give them the water. Um, The Lord's often identified as a rock in the Old Testament called our rock. The Lord is our rock. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our high tower. Um, One of the things that he's often called is a rock. And so the people sinned, But instead of God telling Moses to use that that rod of judgment, the one he struck the Nile with, to strike his people or to strike out a plague on his people, what does he do? God comes out and stands on the rock, and Moses is going to strike the rock that the Lord's on. This is really interesting because you have God's rock being struck instead of his people so that they receive blessing and not punishment. Sound familiar? We'll get to that in a little bit. But what we have here is that God's rock is being struck instead of his people so that they get blessing instead of punishment. Um, There's a picture of things to come later as we dig into this passage. But Moses struck the rock and water gushed out. It's it's no trivial amount of water, guys. This is 2 million people. If you give 2 million people one gallon each, I think you can do the math, which is 2 million gallons of water. It's enough water to cover an acre six feet deep. And there'd be a lot more water needed than that because they have animals too, right? And cows, they could easily drink 20 gallons each. And so you can imagine the amount of water this is, is coming out of this rock. It's an insane amount of water. Have you guys ever imagined this scene? Have you ever imagined it like he strikes the rock and there's like a little garden hose set on low kind of pouring out? Or did you imagine it as a little trickle water, like a little relaxing fountain you might have in your backyard, like one of those little, um, like one of those little peeing baby fountains or something like that? It's a little trickle rock. Guys, this can't be that. This can't be a peaceful trickle of water. This is millions of gallons of water. And I assume there was some sort of a reservoir that it filled because, you know, what probably happened is they came to this place. It was a place that normally was a place you could expect water and the reservoir, whatever was there, was dried out. Our family, we have a fun place we like to go in Joshua Tree, Barker Dam. And sometimes Barker Dam, it's full and sometimes it's really low. But I could imagine there's this dried out reservoir and Moses strikes the rock and water gushes out and it fills this whole reservoir with water and the people are able to drink. And just imagine the refreshment of this, guys. Remember the last time that you were so thirsty you thought you'd collapse and how good it felt to drink? I mean, just the pleasure of drinking regular water, even just like water out of a a garden hose, the pleasure of drinking water when you're super thirsty. And then all of a sudden you start to feel, you know, this 
this fullness and you feel suddenly alive and rejuvenated and, and, and brought back to strength. And there was more water than they could possibly drink. It's just in abundance. And so God's people, they accuse God of wrongdoing. Uh, they say, is God among us or not? And then he answers from the rock with water saying, yes, I'm among you. Here is life plentiful for you. Guys, where the Lord is, there is water even in the desert. Amen. Where the Lord is, there's even water in the desert. And God wanted to remind his people of this for generations to come. He didn't want to just do this and have them forget. And so he came up with a feast they would have. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it was a week-long feast where they would remember how God had provided for them in their wandering time, when that 40 years when they were wandering in the desert. It would remind them of how God cared for them and how God would care for them in the future because God had cared for them in the past. And God had them do it in a really interesting way. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths because they would live in these little shelters and, and it was to remind them. So they go out of their homes, their regular homes, and they would live in little shelters like little tents, little um, things that they had constructed. And so if a person lived in like a rural area, they would take a bunch of branches and sticks and leaves and make something to kind of camp in. So this is, you know, hardcore camping. This isn't glamping. This isn't like, hey, let's go get the toy hauler and stay in that. That's not the kind of thing they're doing here. This is hardcore camping. And if they lived in the city, they would just camp out on the flat roof of their home. So for those seven days, it was a feast and they would camp and they would remember how God had taken care of them when they had no permanent homes. And I was just thinking, how helpful was that to have a seven day feast once a year to remember how God had cared for them and to kind of reenact their wilderness time. And I was thinking like, how about we do that, guys? How about this week, you know, for the next seven days, we go out in the backyard, maybe set up a tent or maybe build something. And we could live in these things for seven days. We have feasts and stuff, but we'll live outside. And uh, we could just do that as a church, right? Does that sound fun? You guys could take pictures. You could send us the pictures. We could share them. Um, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. But um, it's a nice idea. So on the last day of that Feast of Tabernacles, they, they remembered what happened in Exodus 17. They, they had a specific time at the very end of the seven days. And the last day of the feast, they had a particular time when they remembered how God gave the water how God gave water from a rock. And they did it in a really interesting way. They had this whole water pouring ceremony. So on the last day of the feast, they would take a pitcher and fill it with water in the pool of Siloam. And they would carry it around in a procession with the high priest. And everybody would watch and the, and the choir would sing. And they would sing the halal, which was Psalm 113 through 118. They would sing those psalms as they're carrying this water around and they're remembering that God gave water. And when the choir reached uh, Psalm 118, all the people would cry out, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord three times. And then they would take that water and they would pour it out on the altar. And the whole idea was just for them to remember God's the one that gives water. God is the one that gives us refreshment and strength and life, right? And what's amazing is what happened at one particular Feast of Tabernacles. So Jesus attended these feasts too during his lifetime. And at one of them, it was the last Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus ever went to in his earthly life. John reported that Jesus raised a bit of a ruckus there. Those of you who know Jesus know that Jesus does this, that he will go to a party or a gathering of people or a feast and raise a ruckus. And that's what he did at this Feast of Tabernacles. So on the last day of the feast, the time when they're doing all this water, you know, remembrance of God, Jesus stands up. John 7, 37 says this, 
On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and and cried out with a loud voice, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Isn't that amazing? Right at the moment they're thinking about how the Lord gave water and all this, Jesus goes, oh yeah, you want water? You know, if you want water, come to me. I'm the one that gives water. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was saying, I am the Lord of the Exodus. I am the one who gave water in the desert. He's all, you know that whole thing you're talking about and that whole water ceremony and all that? That's all about me. <laughs> amazing? Can you imagine being there? He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Imagine their faces. Jesus is the Lord who gave water in the desert. But even more, guys, Jesus is the rock that was struck for the people in the wilderness. Jesus is the rock that was struck. Now, Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 10, 4. He says that all drank of the same spiritual drink in the wilderness, the, the Israelites, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So Paul makes the connection that that this rock that was struck in the wilderness was a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the rock that was struck in the wilderness to give his people water. Six months after that last Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus went to, he arrived in Jerusalem and he was taken outside of the city and he, he was crucified and he died. Jesus was struck for you. Jesus was struck with the rod of God's judgment. It was the strike that you deserved because of your sin. That strike fell on him. That's the gospel, guys. The gospel is that Jesus was struck for your sin in your place. And that's what was happening at the Rock of Meribah. The rock there at Meribah in Exodus 17 is a picture of the cross. It's a picture of the gospel. And do you guys remember what happened after Jesus died on that cross? To make sure he was dead, the Roman soldiers took a spear and they put it right up under his rib cage. And they pierced his side to make sure that he was dead. And John, the same John that reported that whole water ceremony thing, said that what poured forth from his chest was both blood and water. Blood, which covers your sin, and water, the living water that fills you from within. Isn't that amazing? So what is this living water? Look at John seven thirty seven again. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So this, this living water that we receive is God, the Holy Spirit. And guys, having the Holy Spirit is like having, Jesus is saying, having the Holy Spirit is like having a well of living water inside you, in your heart, in the center of your being, that that God himself would pour forth from the center of your being, that his presence would be within you to refresh you like water refreshes you from the inside, that you wouldn't be totally prone to your circumstances and your situations, but from within your very heart, you'd be refreshed by the living presence of God. The Holy Spirit causes God's life to gush out of your once stony, cold heart. So like the rock in the wilderness, you had this stony heart. And when the, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and causes you to be born again and believe in Jesus, what happens is that his life begins to gush out of that heart that was once dead, right? So that no matter what desert God has you wandering in, you can find refreshment. But let me ask you this. Are you right now drinking this living water? 
are you? Are you right now drinking this living water? Because guys, we too are in the midst of the first two months of a desert wandering, strangely. (laughs) But we're in the first two months of a desert wandering. And the only way that you're going to make it the rest of the way is by drinking the living water that God's provided. And I could just name a few of the struggles you might be having, like you might be struggling right now to teach your kids at home. You don't usually do that. And you're having to teach your, your own children at home. Or maybe you're dealing with the struggle of being stuck at home all day, day after day. And, you know, we t- talk in our family like, oh, what are we going to do tomorrow? And it's like there's a very limited possibility of what we could be doing tomorrow, right? Or maybe you're having to work out in the heat of the day, but now you have to do it with like a mask on. I mean, I'm wearing like at work, Mason and I are working together and I'm wearing this thing called a neck gaiter. It's like a thing that goes around here. I didn't even know what a neck gaiter was until a couple of weeks ago. And it's great because you don't have to adjust it or whatever and it stays on your face, but I have to wear this thing uh, when I'm working with people and um, it's hot, very hot. And it becomes a little difficult to breathe through. So maybe you're having that increased difficulty or maybe you're in a different situation where you're not able to work. You know, you wish you could be outside in a neck gaiter. Um, sweating it up, you know, if you could even work, but you're not able to work. You're trying to figure out how am I going to make financial ends meet? Heard a preacher just recently, and he said this about this current situation. He says, we're not all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm, right? We're not all in the same boat. We have different experiences of it, but we're all in the same storm. Maybe right now you're being confronted with your own selfishness in new ways when you're at home with your spouse and your kids, or maybe you're in a totally different boat where you're, you're dealing with the pain of loneliness and isolation. You'd love to be dealing with trying to figure out your own selfishness with a spouse and kids, but you're actually in a different situation where you're alone and you're dealing with the pain of loneliness and isolation. Is wherever you're wandering in the desert, I just want to ask you, are you trying to do it without drinking the living water? Guys, God's provided this. Jesus the rock was struck so that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't try to do this without him. Jesus' promise here is fantastic. Look at it again. John 7, 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Are you enjoying that reality? You can you can be enjoying that reality. But we know it's not automatic. And I think you know that from experience, if you've been a Christian for a while, that that kind of joy, that kind of being filled with the Spirit is not something that happens automatically. But also Ephesians tells us that. If you look at Ephesians 5.18, there's a command there. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, right? It's a command. Being filled with the Spirit's a command. But it's kind of a strange command. And uh, it's a strange command called a present passive imperative. So it's a present in that it's something you need to keep doing on and on. We need to keep drinking, keep on getting filled with the Spirit over and over and over again, right? It's a passive, though, because only God can fill you with the Spirit. And it's an imperative. It's a command. So it's a command to have something done to you only God can do. It's kind of a strange one, right? If you, if you translate it literally, it would be something like, be being kept filled, Only God can fill you with the Spirit, but we must put ourselves in a place where we will be filled. It's almost like there's a, 
you know, the, well, even in the example of Exodus 17, that water gushing out of the rock and, and you have to put yourself up under that water to get filled by it. Or if you have to come down to the reservoir to actually drink from it, that God's the one that fills us, but we have to actually place ourselves in a situation where we can get filled. And there's different ways to do this that God's provided. He's provided a bunch of different ways. One of the key ways is, is in his word. Meditation on his word, not just reading, but just really meditating on and drinking in the truths that are in his word. And if you think about Psalm 1, he pictures a, a human as a tree and the tree that's green all the time and alive in the desert place is the one that's planted by the waters. And you go, what is that? You look at Psalm 1, it's meditating on his word day and night, that we're in his word and we're soaking up his word. Um, prayer. You know, that we would um, just sit and, and, and pray to the Lord and, and tell him how we're feeling and tell him what we're going through and ask him to come and speak to us and fill us again. Um, it happens in worship. I know that this time this morning is a huge time of filling for me as I engage in worship with the rest of you guys. This is a time when I get filled with the Spirit. Um, through service, service of others. We know from like Isaiah 58 that, that God is very pleased to fill with the Spirit those who pour themselves out to others. And, um, and through fellowship. Fellowship is, is reading God's Word and discussing God's Word together to kind of chew on God's Word with each other. And I know that fellowship's been made more difficult. I know that Zoom and FaceTime and, and phone calls are probably not your preferred way to have fellowship or to serve one another. But guys, the, the most important thing is that we do it, right? Um, this isn't a time when we have it very convenient, right? You'd rather do it in person. It'd be much more convenient and much, much easier. It would be much more ideal to be able to be together. Um, but guys, we don't just minister when the conditions are ideal, do we? I mean, you look at our whole Christian history and how our people have always served others and reached out of fellowship and evangelism, and it's always been through difficult times. Those can be the best times of ministry. Uh, there's a couple in our church I was talking to a few weeks ago, and um, they have set aside, or at least at that time, they had set aside every night, they had a little bit of time set aside to do some FaceTime ministry to others. Isn't that amazing? That they had set aside just a little bit of time each evening to do some FaceTime ministry with others. And I don't know about you, but that's how I would want to remember spending this time. When we look back on this time, that's how I want to remember spending it. Being filled with the Spirit and pouring out His presence and His life to others. So let me ask you again, are you drinking your fill of the living water? Are you? Are you drinking your fill? of the living water. You right now, this week, think about your week. Do you feel kind of dried up inside? <laughs> do you feel weak? Do you feel like you're just weakening each day? Do you, do you feel like you're lacking clarity and direction and maybe have a fog and don't know what to do next? Are you feeling like, I just don't know if I can take this anymore or if I can go any further? You know what that sounds like? Those are symptoms of spiritual dehydration. <laughs> Think about dehydration. Those are symptoms of spiritual dehydration. Guys, don't forget the promise you have in John 7, 37, that you have like this secret channel within your heart that connects you to Christ. The Holy Spirit so connects you to Christ that you can have access to God's refreshing presence anytime. 
why, guys, would we ever choose to live dried up, thirsty, fainting lives when we can at any time open up this book and drink in his presence? And we can any time sit and we can pray and ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit. We can pray, Holy Spirit, I need life. I need to feel a manifestation of your presence in my life right now. You know, as the people said unbelievingly at Exodus 17, are you with us or not? We can pray believingly and say, Lord, show me that you're with me. Show, give me a manifestation of your spirit in my heart, in my life right now. Fill me, revive me, refresh me, flow through me. Help me to be so full of you that I pour myself out to others. And then to fellowship with others and actually receive from them what's pouring out of them from the Spirit, right? Remember the question that, that God's people asked in the desert of Meribah in uh, Exodus 17. In verse 7, they said, is the Lord among us or not? And guys, the clear answer we have through Pentecost is God saying, yes, he is with us. He's with us in abundance through his Holy Spirit. He's cause to dwell within us. Guys, more than the millions of gallons of water at Meribah, there is more than enough of the infinite presence of God to fill everyone who comes to him, to overflowing and to pour out to others. And I just want to ask those of you who are with us and you're not normally a part of our church, kind of visiting uh, with us, and we're super thankful you're here. Have you placed your trust in Jesus to cleanse your sin and give you life within? Has Jesus, the rock, been struck for your sins? If you trust in him, then the answer is yes. The strike that was due to you for your sin has been cast on him, the rock. And let me ask you this. Has God filled your stony heart with his spirit so much that it now flows with living water? He'll do that for you. It's an amazing offer. You could be filled today. And if Jesus Christ is your hope, if you're trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins and for life, both now and to come, then we invite you to take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is like, it's like the Feast of Tabernacles in that it's a spiritual feast that he's given to us so that we can remember how he gave us true living water. In this feast of the Lord's Supper, it's not a feast that we do for seven days once a year. It's a feast that we do every seven days all year. Every seven days all year, every time we gather, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity to be filled and refreshed with the Spirit again. It's another one of those means of grace by which we receive filling of the Spirit. And so we'd ask for those of you who are trusting in Jesus to take the bread that represents Jesus' body broken, struck for you to give you living water, and the cup which represents his blood poured out to cover all your sin. Guys, let's take this time of worship in the Lord's Supper and be filled. Be filled to overflowing. Let's pray. Father, you are near to the brokenhearted and you save the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you deliver us out of them all. We pray for those who are with us, who are facing their own special desert time. And we pray, Lord, that you would draw near to them, that you would make your presence known to them. If they're tempted to ask, is the Lord with me or not? Lord, we pray that you would make a resounding 
yes, be evident in their lives as the Holy Spirit pours out to them in a fresh way. We pray, Lord, that you would refresh them with your presence. And we ask for those who are with us that don't yet know you. We pray, Lord, that you this morning would give them the gift of faith, that they would suddenly find themselves with a new certainty that your son Jesus is the one they were made to know and that your son Jesus is their only hope in life and death. We pray, Lord, that you do that right now. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us a people no longer grumbling and quarreling with you, but instead filled and refreshed with your spirit. We pray that you do this for your glory and for our joy. We pray, Lord, that this time would be a time when we had seen and known and recognized and for generations remember that you'd given water in the desert, that you had made your presence known, that you'd refreshed your people and made us evergreen in the desert place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.